God's been speaking to us a lot uh, already and encouraging us already um, by um, in different ways. And uh, we're going to look at the story of Doubting Thomas. And before we sort of get into uh, the, the story of Doubting Thomas, we're just going to uh, look at the week before when the disciples met together. So there are two occasions here when Jesus met with the disciples. And um, the first occasion was when the ten of them were, they were all together in the upper room. And um, they were down to ten uh, because one, Judas, um, had committed suicide um, probably about a quarter of a mile away um, in a field. And the other was Thomas. Thomas wasn't there. And uh, there was just the ten of them in the room. Uh, and it was the upper room, the same room where Jesus had washed their feet and where they'd broken bread. The same room. And um, they'd, they'd got the door locked and they were potentially, maybe they'd barricaded the door. Because they were afraid, and, and not without reason, um, because you know the, the leader of their movement, Jesus, had been killed, and they were next on the list, potentially, from the Jewish authorities. So they were afraid uh, in, in the upper room and locked and locked in. And um, they were um, excluding others. And, and sometimes that we, we can do that, can't we? Um, we can do that mentally and emotionally as well when we're afraid. When there's fear or shame, um, we, we lock the doors of our, of our life and we say, don't come near me. Uh, you know, I, I want to hide away. I want to be by myself. And, and the disciples were, um, if you like, experiencing all of these uh, emotions. And um, Jesus came into the room where they were and stood uh, among them. And he said to them, peace uh, be, with, be with you. Peace be upon you. And um, he said to them, I'm sending you out. The door's locked. But, you know, peace be upon you and I'm sending you out. And he breathed on them. And um, we know that kind of wind in, in the Bible is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we can feel the wind, can't we? We can feel wind on, on our faces. And if you go back to Genesis, uh, the Ruach of God, God breathed life into uh, us as humans. And, and throughout the Bible, is that, there's that picture of wind, and Jesus breathed on these these afraid um, disciples, now overjoyed to see Jesus. And um, uh, Jesus breathed on them. And they were to receive the Holy Spirit. So they could feel the wind, but they were to receive the Holy Spirit. And fast forward six or seven weeks later, there was going to be a mighty rushing wind on the day of Pentecost and they would recognize this is the wind but it's a mighty rushing wind 
And they were to receive that. And it wasn't at that moment when they were in the upper room that they went out. The door was still locked. It wasn't the fact that Jesus was resurrected that gave them confidence to go out. It was when the power of the Holy Spirit came six or seven weeks later, they received the power of God and then uh, they were they were sent out. And um, so we see uh, the, the, the sort of stage set for, for, for Thomas uh, where Jesus has revealed himself that he's alive to uh, the ten the ten disciples. And uh, then we come to, to Thomas. And uh, he doesn't just say, there, there are a couple of things. The only gospel that records Thomas is John. He's not recorded anywhere else. And he says a few things uh, in John. And um, all of them are not overly positive, which maybe says something about who he is and his, his kind of mindset. So we, we have these three uh, comments from Thomas. Let's, in John eleven sixteen, let's also go that we may die with him. And that's the, the story about Lazarus, when Jesus goes and raises Lazarus from the dead to a place where they knew he would be stoned. And so Thomas' mindset is, let's just go and die with him. Then John 14, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? He wants things to be to be clear and up front. John 20, 25, then we see him saying, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And he, he kind of reveals not an overly positive mindset. But we're in this situation where there's definite pain. You know, the disciples had experienced definite pain. And Jesus took them through that process of pain. He didn't save them from pain. Um, they, they, they went through that process of that experience of pain. And I think sometimes we find that hard to acknowledge, <laughs> you know, that, that there is pain in, in life. I know when I first uh, started chaplaincy uh, and was going into, uh, it's a, a retail store, local retail store, there's about 450 staff, I would just start to hear one after the other, story after story of pain. You know, people gone through bereavement, people were going through relational breakup, um, there's, there's pain. And I think it's important to recognize as humans <laughs> here that we experience pain, that it's part of our life, and um, that we're not separate from everybody else, that we do experience pain. And we know that one day there will be no more crying. There will be no more pain. And it's that picture isn't it, that we've heard this morning of the Father. <clears throat> the desire of the Father to want to protect his children from pain. Um, and we know that ultimately, 
that's where he'll, he'll have us in that place, where there'll be no more pain or, or crying. But while we're here, um, we do, we experience it. Everyone has a pain file, if you like. You know, you could talk to anyone and, and they'd come up with, well, here's my pain. Um, because it's part of our experience. And, you know, doing the, the chaplaincy, you know, you, you get, there are different responses to it. You know, there's the tendency of, why me? <laughs> you know, why, why, why am I going through this? Or, you know, there's the, the British stiff upper lip that we have, isn't there? You know, maybe you've lost a member of your family, your, your house has burnt down, your dog's died and your car's crashed, but you say, you know, I've got to keep going because I'm, you know, I've got that British stiff upper lip. I'm just going to keep going. And you ignore it. And sometimes you, you know, you, you get that response. Sometimes people feel a sense of, I'm the only one um, in pain. So they feel that sense of shame. And there's that sense of loss of connection uh, with, with others. At other times, it can be that worst case scenario mindset that, that, like Thomas, that Thomas has. And people have different responses to, to pain. But it's important that the disciples were paused through this process. You know, when you go through something, that is intense or extreme like that, there's a pause on life. And that's important, that we process pain well. It's right to pause when we go through a painful situation or experience. I can remember one of the the hardest things uh, early on when we were just coming into ministry. I was heavily pregnant with with, with Abby. And sat in um, a home of a lady who'd just said goodbye to a seven-year-old son. They were followers of Jesus. He'd had an accident. And how do you explain that? That's pain. You've got to acknowledge that we do experience pain and we go through pain. And I felt like I shouldn't be there because I was there bringing life into the world and she was saying goodbye and there's that element isn't there where we want to protect our children as parents we would like to protect our children from pain but we can't Um, we've got to allow that process to happen and there are various things around that that we we need to do we need to acknowledge what our responsibility is when we go through uh, circumstances or situations like that. We know that God works all things together for good to those that love him and those that are called according to his purpose. That's our family secret. And we take comfort in that. And we know that Jesus comforts the disciples. You know, he, he acknowledges that it's difficult and he says, peace, my peace is with you. And the, you might be here this morning, you might to hear, need to hear, hear those words. 
that his peace is with you in pain um, because it is all part of, of the human experience. So my peace is, is with you. And he doesn't give to us as the world gives, but it's a, an eternal peace. It's something that lasts, that, that stays with us. There's in those moments the opportunity to learn from pain. It teaches us things. And that's the wisdom of those situations and circumstances that sometimes we face, that we learn what we need to learn through, through those circumstances. And that as a follower of Jesus, we behave in the right way or we respond in the right way, in a godly way to pain because it challenges our character. It challenges the, who we are right down to the root when we experience circumstances and situations that are, that are painful. But um, Jesus met Thomas where he, he was. He pushes through his pain. And um, he did learn from his pain. He found the opportunities within that. And um, we can do that too. But we, need, we can pause and we can find what that change is. We can find what that new direction is through the pains that we face in life. Because it's part of our experience. And um, it's not something that we dwell on all the time. But we do need to acknowledge that part of life is pain. We know that Jesus faced pain for us. So no matter what you go through, Jesus has been where you are. And I wonder if you can acknowledge that, you know, when you're in those, going through that process, that you recognize that Jesus has been here before me. He knows what it's like to have pain. And he comforts you and I because of that. And that we can take his comfort and identify with him. It says that he carries our pain and our sufferings on the cross. And that brings us a freedom in the middle of our pain. Because we know our saviour, Jesus, has stood right where we are and beyond where we, where we are. So surely he took our pain and he bore our, our sufferings. Just to uh, look at a couple of things around Thomas and his hindrances, if you like, to acknowledging uh, where he was. And uh, he was a twin. And there is a thing about twin psychology that you want to assert yourself more. You've got to be stronger in your identity because you want to mark yourself apart from your twin. And there could be something in that with Thomas. You know, he said, I will not believe. He's asserting himself. He's got his own mind about this because he's learned, because he's been a twin. 
um, that that's what he needs to that he needs to do. Um, so he could be overcompensating for being an individual. Um, he was not together with the other disciples. He wasn't with them uh, in when Jesus revealed himself to them. And some people process, don't they, well with others. Some people don't. But it could be that Thomas also felt a level of humiliation and shame. Was he wandering the streets of Jerusalem? Uh, why was he isolating himself from the rest of the disciples? Could it be that that sense of shame was destroying his sense of connection and um, belonging to, to the disciples? Uh, he wasn't with them, he was on his own. And, you know, when we, when we look and we dig into that, we can all kind of react to that. It's kind of like a fallback from our old nature or our old sinful nature. Because shame, it's a bit like the conductor of an orchestra. And um, it's that inherent sense of rejection that we fall back on, linked to sin. And that's the root of it. When we look at Adam and Eve... It was when they realized, actually, we're naked um, and we're, we're exposed. And so we've got to hide. We've got to withdraw. We've got to cover up our shame. And um, was Thomas feeling that sense um, of shame? And uh, it can cause you to, to want to withdraw from others. And it it kind of causes you to feel like you are different somehow. Um, you, you feel conspicuous. Um, you feel like you're the elephant in the room, that everybody's looking at you um, because you feel this sense of shame and, you, and you've, got, you've got to hide. But when we stay connected, when we stay in community, the love of God the, the sharing the love of God for one another causes the elephant to shrink, causes our awareness, our perspective to come back to what is what it should be, because we've gone ski whiff, and sin rejection has led us to that perspective, and our healing as we stay connected, as we stay belonging, shrinks the elephant down. To the right place and the right perspective as we stay part of the body and connected with, with others. Was that what Thomas was uh, experiencing? Where are you? It, it echoes from the garden, doesn't it? The garden of Eden. God says, where are you? Well, we're hiding. Why are you hiding? Because I feel don't belong. I feel rejected. I feel conspicuous. And that's not responding to the love of the Father. That's not, as we've heard this morning, clinging to the Father, putting your hand out to the Father, who's saying, this, you belong. You belong. This is where you are loved and you belong. So where are you, Thomas? Echoes from the, the garden. And um, so Thomas maybe kind of felt... You know, 
through that sense of shame brings that sense of, I, I feel like a fraud. You know, Jesus has, has, has let us down here. I won't believe until it has to be authentic. It has to be, it has to be real. And um, he needs that, that healing, that sense of healing. And he needs to let go of that and leave that behind. And the enemy wants to blow that up in us sometimes. And he wants to isolate us and he wants to keep that perspective big. But Jesus breaks through and he breaks through Thomas' sense of, of shame and letting him know that he cannot hide. Thomas, Jesus doesn't go looking for Thomas. You know, he, he did for the Mary and, you know, the, the guys on the road to Emmaus after the resurrection. But Thomas has to reconnect in community. And that's where he encounters uh, Jesus. That's where he encounters um, the risen Lord. And so um, he, the second time, is back meeting with the, the other disciples. So was it shame? It could be. Was it doubt? We call him Doubting Thomas, don't we? And uh, doubt, it's not necessarily a negative thing. Um, It's where it leads you is the key. Because true faith is really impossible to attain without some doubt. Doubt isn't the opposite of faith. It's an element of faith as it leads you to faith. You can go back to wrestling to a few questions. It doesn't mean your faith is weak. It means that your faith is working itself out. It means your faith is real. And so Thomas is asking questions. What could be more natural than doubting that a man that you had seen tortured and killed was now walking around and talking to people? What could be more natural about that? Thomas wasn't an unnatural doubter. But the, the issue with doubt is that it strengthens um, in the face of disappointment, or it can. And um, rather than being a helpful prompt to you to take a step of faith and to move forward, uh, it can become a weight that drags, that drags you down. And doubt isn't necessarily the problem. The problem is that it grows and it overwhelms. And Thomas, he didn't lack courage. He was, as history tells us, he was martyred for his faith in Chennai, in India, as the history goes. And um, you know, he didn't lack courage. There's lots of positive things about, about Thomas. He was honest. Uh, he, he couldn't believe and said so. He was honest about it. It was up front. Uh, he was also reasonable. You know, he demanded uh, evidence. And Christianity is not a rational, is a rational faith. It's not an irrational faith. Um, our faith stands on history. Our, hast- our faith stands on fact. Our faith stands on the truth of God's word. And um, he, so there's there's lots of positive things that we can say about 
Thomas. He knew Jesus' resurrection was everything or nothing. Either Jesus had risen from the dead or he hadn't. He loved Jesus. Uh, He said, didn't he, that we may die with him. So loyalty wasn't um, a problem to him. Um, It was just that he was allowing doubt to lead him into being sceptical. He anticipates the worst to protect himself. And um, that's the issue with doubtfulness and staying there too long is to where it leads you. Because there are two great enemies of our faith. There are scepticism, which demands absolute evidence for belief, or cynicism, which is an underlying distrust of all things. And um, Leslie Newbeginner said that if one doubts everything... One learns nothing. And that's the problem with doubt. It can lead you uh, into a mindset that is really restrictive and closes you off to moving forward and taking steps of faith. And Thomas was in danger, I guess, of this. And um, he hasn't moved into cynicism, but he's definitely become sceptical about the situation. He said, unless I put my hand. And uh, it's rooted in that disappointment. This person that he's dedicated his life to, the last time he saw him was in a tomb. And he can't overcome. He can't get through that. I'm not going to risk it again. I'm not going to risk that headache again. I'm not going to allow myself to entertain hope again. Why would I believe that and be disappointed? For a second time. And um, he was in danger of closing himself off. And it, that kind of mindset, it closes us off to peace. It, co- it closes ourselves off to a sense of joy and enjoying life. And um, Jesus meets him where he is. Isn't that good? Jesus meets Thomas exactly where he is in his doubt, in the place where he is. And as has been mentioned, we, we don't need to be perfect. Jesus met him where he was. And um, so they're in the room again, in the upper room. Uh, same place, same time. A week later, still the doors are locked. And um, same people there, but with one exception, and that's Thomas. And uh, just read that to you. One of the one of the disciples, Thomas, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, "We've seen the Lord," but he replied, "I won't believe it." Unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. He said, peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, 
Put your finger here and see my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who haven't seen me and believe. Anyway. And um, this is where Thomas streaks into the lead with his faith. This is where he overtakes the other disciples. And um, Jesus brings him into that place of community. And uh, again, that's where he confronts him. And he lets him know that he knows exactly what he's been thinking. Nobody tells Jesus. Jesus knows exactly what he's been thinking and where he is. Thomas, I know all about your doubts. Put your finger here. There's no record, record that Thomas touched actually touched Jesus. Um, it was as if like something just burst in on his, on his mind. He'd been a few steps behind the disciples and in this moment he just completely overtook them and he said, my Lord and my God. And for a Jew to say, my God, to someone who was human, was an absolute miracle. Because they were told that God is in heaven. God is not here. And that's why John records this. John, the, the writer of the Gospel of John, he starts off, doesn't he, John, by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was flesh and dwelt among us. And um, John uses the word for faith 99 times throughout this, this book. And John is, is saying something to us in this moment. When Thomas says, my God, to a human, he's declaring that Jesus in the flesh is God. And that is... Um, a powerful statement that Thomas has just overtook. Even Peter doesn't say, my God. He says, I'm, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. But Thomas declares, my God. It's not a distant faith. It's not, I believe that Jesus was the Son of God. It's my, my God. It's become an encounter with the living, the living God. And, um, you know, Jesus' physical body um, was walking through doors and the scars were healed. And that doesn't happen that quick. And John, through the, the, the text, is trying to tell us that Jesus is raised from the dead. This isn't a hallucination. The scars that he carries are in his hand. It's a, it's, he's different. He's a transformed body. He's different, but he's still the same. And so the Gospel of John declares the physical resurrection of, of Jesus. And it's not, as we said, it's not this point where the disciples feel encouraged and are sent out. 
it's six or seven weeks later when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And um, there it, it says, um, Peter says, I saw the Lord always before me because he's at my right hand. I will not be shaken. It was the power of the Holy Spirit that brought the reality of the resurrection uh, again. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. It means that when Jesus said, um, blessed are those who believe that don't see, that it's the Holy Spirit that reveals that Jesus is alive in you and me, that we are at no disadvantage because the power of the Holy Spirit reveals to us who who Jesus is uh, in reality, the power of the resurrection. And um, we see that in the disciples uh, on the, the day of the day of Pentecost. And it says in Romans of Jesus that who through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so the Holy Spirit applies the truth of the resurrection uh, to our lives, that we can say, my Lord and my God. And he wants to open us up to his joy and the presence of of Jesus. And as I've been talking today, maybe some of the hindrances of or the weight that you feel Jesus wants to lift off you this morning. Maybe you're carrying things that you're not meant to be carrying, like Thomas. Maybe you need to take that step forward to say, I believe I'm going to take that step forward. Maybe it's acknowledging that Jesus is right with you in the place that you are, in that place where it's difficult at the moment. That you're going to just say, yeah, I'm taking the responsibility that I need to take in this situation. I'm trusting, I'm reaching out and holding the Father's hand, as we've had uh, spoken to us today. And, you know, God wants to lift through the power of his Holy Spirit some of those burdens from us. But it was Thomas's responsibility, don't forget, to take a step forward. And there is that free will, that free choice that we have, that we're invited to take that step of faith. We're invited to take that step forward. And I just want to, in closing, just want to read from Isaiah 61. Because I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to just minister to you this morning and wants to lift things off. He wants to bring a lightness into your your spirit, in the midst of where you are at the moment. And um, when we look at Isaiah 61, we see the spirit. So the spirit of the sovereign Lord 
is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. That's pain. That's acknowledging that there's pain in our world. And to announce that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that at the time of the Lord's favour has come, that the time of the Lord's favour has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair. For the Lord has planted them like strong and graceful oaks for his own glory. I just want you to close your eyes for a moment. And just allow the Holy Spirit just to minister to you where you are. Remember how Jesus met Thomas where he was. He didn't have to be perfect. He didn't have to have it all together. And I just really sense that the Holy Spirit wants to release joy in you and in you in, in our lives. He wants to lift, wants to, yes, we acknowledge, he acknowledges our pain, but he brings joy in the midst of those times of challenge. And just want to take a few moments just to allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you. To remove places, maybe dry places in your heart and bring a sense of refreshing. Maybe there are hard bits there where, you know, if you're gardening, you have to dig down and you have to, you have to pull out the hard ground and put in some fresh, good soil. And just allow him to do that. You know, if you need to take a step of faith, if he's inviting you forward, if he's inviting you back, maybe it's reconnection. Maybe you've been carrying a sense of shame and you realize Jesus has taken that. He wants to lift that off you. He wants to remove it from you and fill that place with his presence, with his love and with his joy. So just let him minister. Let the Holy Spirit come you and let him minister to you in these few moments. Just wait for a moment. Just allow him to to do that. I'm just going to read Isaiah 61 again. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, and to announce that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favour has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of despair for the Lord has planted them like strong and graceful oaks for his presence let's just wait a moment just allow the Holy Spirit to 
to minister to us.